Welcome to another special installment of Unraveling Religion. I'm your host, Joel Lessies, and I wanted to put together a roundtable discussion and assembled former guests of the show today. And we are joined by uh, five panelists, and we're going to discuss today the topic, spirituality, what is it? So a kind of fundamental, basic, foundational question, which is simple and deep. And um, we have five guests here. So whoever would like to introduce themselves, please step up. Henry? (laughs) I unmuted first, I guess. Um, Hi, everyone. (laughs) My name is Sarah Hughes. Uh, I am a relationship artist in Rochester, New York, the uh, unceded territory of the Seneca Nation of the Haudenosaunee people. And um, I'm excited to be here in, in conversation with all of you today. Thank you. Well, since you mentioned me, I'm Henry Cretella. I'm a retired. I used to work as a psychiatrist, and now I do uh, spiritual guidance and teaching outside of Rochester. Most of it's online, though, and uh, podcasts. We have a podcast called Alchemical Dialogues that Joel has been a guest on, and I co-direct an educational spiritual organization called Amberlight International. So I'm really excited about this topic. That's That's something that's I've been thinking about for a while. So thank you for hosting this. Who would like to go next? Okay, I'll, I'll, I'll go. Um, hello, Rich Grego, uh, former philosophy and cultural history professor at Southern New Hampshire University, uh, now mostly retired philosopher and soldier of fortune, probably teaching at an educational institution near you because I, I teach at various places online. So, and, and it's really an honor to be here with this esteemed company. I really, really, really is. I'm really enthused about being here. Cool. Welcome, Rich. Welcome. Hi. Yeah, I'm Betty Scullin. Since I've retired from my past life, I am an Akashic Record consultant. So I help people journey in their Akashic Records, and it's very spiritual related. I teach people how to access their records as well and spend much time reading and meditating and playing with three young boys, which just brings so much love and spirit to my life. It's really quite a joy. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for inviting me, Joe. Yeah, of course, buddy. Welcome, welcome. And my name is Chris Barbera. Um, I'm living in Buffalo, New York, uh, Haudenosaunee land, Seneca Territory, Great Lakes person. I've been working with a prison theology, uh, encouraging people in prison to write about theology and their experience of God, conception of God. Um, I've been doing that for uh, quite a few years. And I also um, live at the Network of Religious Communities, which is located here in Buffalo, New York, which is an interfaith human rights organization of organizations. different uh, religious entities uh, trying to find common ground. So uh, three of the, a couple of the things that we work on are a spirituality and medicine program with UB Medical School, uh, a hunger, food justice, hunger solutions, and just general like interfaith dialogues and events, uh, as well as like hosting um, nonprofits that 
share screen here. So that's my present uh, spiritual entity. Cool. And I'm 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 the host of Unraveling Religion, Joel Lessies, the moderator today. I guess if there's maybe a participant, I don't know. We'll find out. Um, but um, just you know, this question of uh, spirituality, what is it? Was really born out of my own investigations of spirituality, and um, just in talking with people on Unraveling Religion, the 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 vastness of like perspective and experience and meaning that um, all that wrapped up together, how that shapes people in their lives and their, their intimate sacred relationship with something greater than themselves or not, you know, to be, um, you know, can take any form. And I was just wondering, um, spirituality, what is it? Joel, I was thinking about that earlier, uh, just before our call, and I was thinking about how my definition of spirituality has changed Mm. through the years. And this morning when I sat to contemplate what came to me, it was more a visual that like the ocean is part of the earth, my spirit is part of my being. And like the oxygen is part of the air and and part of the earth. My spirit is part of my being. So it's that aspect of myself that is not, that is um, etheric. It's the unseen aspect of of myself. And we we expand that. Um, I know, but just from an individual perspective, that's what it means to me. It's, and the more I realize and become aware of that aspect of myself, the more spiritual I realize we are. Hmm. Thank you for that, buddy. Yeah. Rumi, Rumi says, uh, Rumi's funny. He says, uh, you're not a drop in the ocean the ocean in a drop. All right. So (laughs) I guess I'll jump in here too. I've been having a lot of conversations about spirituality and it seems like every conversation leads to new kind of articulations that all are true. And that's, I think what I'm learning most in considering spirit is the ways in which we limit the limitlessness and put containers around what is essentially an unbound oneness. It's more about peeling those back in a way and and just remembering what we know, which is that there is no separation all is one, our energy, our, our spirit, whatever you want to call it. The, the, the words are not enough and it exists in relationship. One of the things that I saw recently that was so powerful and I've seen it a few times, but every time it hits me hard is this, there's a wonderful video of an experiment where strangers were encouraged to stare into each other's eyes for four minutes. So incredibly powerful in that they didn't even mess things up by starting to talk about it. Just have the con, like, just look into someone's eyes and recognize you're not seeing a stranger. It's a face of 
you and you're them and sound like John Lennon. I am me and you are we. Yeah, oh, I was thinking of that. I'm the walrus. <laughs> right. Like this, it's, yeah, it's often much more capturable in other art forms than words. And yeah. poetry comes the closest. That it just keeps hitting me over and over again. And whenever I start to believe I'm a separate self, experience and relationship snap me back. I love that. I love that definition of spirituality. Uh, well, I could, since I spoke up, I, um, <laughs> um, I, I mean, uh, for me, I guess, um, and, and I'm certainly no expert um, in, in terms of referencing um, spiritual experience, but I think very much along the lines, I think that you were expressing, when I think of spirituality, I think of a connection that we have as these embodied, limited, if you want, uh, finite beings with some encompassing, transpersonal, transcendent, infinite ground of being. I guess you borrow a phrase from, I think, Paul Tillich, the theologian. And that whereby, I guess, that, that relationship is not any sort of a dualistic proprietary one, one where you can say, I know the truth, or I have mastered something that has put me in possession of truth, but or or this ground, this ultimate ground, but but rather one in which you are in some radical sense at the disposal of that groundless ultimate ground and and identify with it in a in a non-dualistic kind of a way. Um, I, you know, I, I don't know. I'm trying to think like the, the well, every spiritual tradition. I don't need to tell you guys. You're, you're probably more familiar with them than I am, um, and certainly in an immediate sense. But I'm thinking of like um, Tatwam Asi from the Vedanta tradition, that thou art, meaning we are. I think Aham Brahmasi is we, that uh, I am Brahman. I am truth. I am that groundless being. And also in line with what you were saying, I think of that experience, while it's transcendent, simultaneously reconnecting us in a more vital, immediate, intuitive way with our grounded, finite being, such that we, we realize that in those times and in those instances that we dwell in a, in a sacred world, as, as limited and imperfect as it is. Heidegger, the philosopher, talks about um, being at home in the world. And I think when I've personally come as close as I can to having what I think is an authentic spiritual experience, I think of that. I think of the sense of being at home in the world. Um, so I don't know. Does that resonate with anybody? <laughs> it's all resonating with me. It's interesting. So I got a little more analytical about it. And uh, I think I, I see it as a process of connecting developing meaning and expressing. Hmm. And it's uh, it's almost like what's not spirit spiritual. I hmm. used to compartmentalize it as if it was something, but it it's it's hardwired as far as I'm concerned that I think there's a lot of evidence that we're endowed with it. It's a natural, whatever you want to call it, a uh, part of our being. The connecting, I used to think connecting was to a transcendent something. And that's half of it. 
it's connecting to a power greater than ourselves, but it's both in the heights and in the depths. Uh, there's a power greater than ourselves that I have in me, if I can find it, that's connected. So it's kind of like spirit is more transcendent and soul is more mm. within me and they're connected, but they're a little, they're a little different. And I think that, that tension of opposites that sometimes it's more than a little difference, but that tension of opposites is what allows something to break through. Mm -hmm. And more and more, I think that becomes the meaning that we give to our lives. And that's probably you know, as many different meanings as there are human beings. You know, and you could call it maybe your purpose or what's meaningful to you or and then the other, then the third part is how it gets expressed, that it doesn't stay compartmentalized, that it comes through either the work we do or the way we are. It just comes through our atmosphere, our being, the nature of who we are. Um, it might have to do with our work. I mean, so the power isn't just up there. It's embodied in us and it's coming through all the time. So as I've grown older, it's become more grounded, more feminine, um, much more humanistic. Kyle Rogers is my favorite mm. influence that I have as a psychiatrist. Um, so that's how I've been thinking about it lately. Thank you. So I ask much. a follow-up question, not to interrupt. I, I just just curious: is that something that you've used, or that an insight that, in a sense, you've used in? or comes from your work? Yeah. Yeah. That's a quick answer. Okay. <laughs> Usually yeah. we have a lot more wordy than that. I mean, yeah. did, does that answer? It, it came from the work I did mm. as a psychiatrist and also the training I had as a spiritual guide and integrating those things and just living. And um, yeah, and that's what I've been coming to. I, I lately. I got in, I'm studying with a friend, uh, process theology, process philosophy. Mm. So trying to get through Alfred North Whitehead is going to give me a headache. So I've had to take, <laughs> I've had to take a big break. <laughs> but I, but I think, uh, you know, when I, when I thought about this the past couple of days, I forgot to include, you know, I'm thinking, well, spirituality is a connection. Spirituality is a process. It's always mm. happening. It's never static. So I, I think I think of God. I try actually I try not to use the word God. So I think of that power that's greater than ourselves as a process. It's not static and it's changing and we're changing and we're all moving in a direction. So maybe, maybe there was an initial impulse in a direction. So my tradition says love, harmony, and beauty. And we get off track and we go back on. We get off track and we get pulled back on. But I think that divine power, whatever we want to call it, is changing as much as we are. Mm. Or of the same thing as that power, the drop in the ocean. Well, I'm changing all the time. So why should that be still and static? Yeah. We're changing together and it's just this amazing dance. It, it really is. It really has is. a direction. Yeah. 
Chris, you grew up Catholic, didn't you? Yeah. Um, I guess, uh, I mean, for me, spirituality is life. I mean, I don't really see a distinction between those two words. So I don't know if it's like, a, like I'm not uncovering or uh, defining what is because it just is. I guess my first instinct into my first, so it's, for me, it's more of an expression. How do I express what is inherently within me? How do I express my life, which is my spirituality, rather than trying to define it? But um, I do also enjoy like the, um, I mean, I've had a lot of the people that you're mentioning, a lot of the ideas you're talking about are things I'm familiar with. And, you know, I love having discussions about, you know, dualism, non-dualism, and, you know, these, all these kind of concepts, of course. But essentially, it's uh, spirituality is, is life. It's just, um, uh, so my first expression of, of that was um, when I saw suffering uh, to um, like a deep empathy with suffering and, and to try to, uh, to address suffering. I mean, my, my brother was born blind. Um, so I, I, my first childhood thoughts were um, that it wasn't pity, but it was like this feeling of, um, uh, of reaching out for this person and mercy or love uh, concern. So then I just extended that to like people that are, have been suffering or, or oppressed. And now with people in prison, uh, with racism and poverty uh, and war and things like that. So trying to connect with people who are suffering and address the root causes of that suffering, I guess is um, how I try to express that. And maybe I'm ill-prepared for this particular discussion today because I've, in general, been moving um, into my body more than my head, or moving my head into my body. So it's more of a feeling of, uh, like when I was on the bus the other day, I just had this feeling of uh, being connected, everybody on the bus. Um, and it wasn't a, an, an idea or a concept, which feeling of like, I am with everybody here. And it was, it was, it was, maybe that's, Similar to being at peace in the world, maybe it was something like that. Yeah. Um, so, I like what you said, Chris, about expression, expression of life, being spirituality, reaching out, and being. In my in my experience, the more I I am in my body, as you were saying, then the better able I am to connect with other humans, sense that connection and even communicate. Well, communicate on, I'll say, a vibrational level without words and send um, thoughts, good thoughts, but anyway, thoughts. And I was thinking when you talked about how expression is spirituality, thought about how um, some of the, some troubles for people excuse me, begin when that expression is suppressed from the outside. And particularly if it's suppressed through violence and how healing, whether we call it spiritual healing or um, psychological, emotional, is healing that wound, healing whatever, what occurred to stifle that expression. That's been my profound direct thought, belief, and experience, buddy. I'm so glad that you, you just, you know, sort of like express that, you know, that's great. Cause that's, 
that has been part and parcel a part of my spirituality has been suffering and you too chris what you express with as far as like suffering but like memory and trauma is a is a is it is a is an impetus to examine <laughs> i'm in this human body what is this right like what's going on here yeah um what you just said betty really resonated with me as well and the expression that you were talking about, Chris, and the reason I call myself a relationship artist is I I want that framing in my mind all the time that every connection with a so-called other is an opportunity to create space where we're at home in the world together, <clears throat> to use your phrasing, Rich, and that relationships are a form of art and a way to heal what has been ruptured or wounded or traumatized in others you know i i truly have a deep sense that there is no real other and that we're all embodiments of uh you know facets of a multifaceted whole and i can reflect back to people a loving healing presence or i can reflect back to them that which hurt them or i can you know but it's choices it's, it's got to be intentional and i also have my own oh i have to be aware of the ways in which i'm reflecting my hurt out into the world like one of the phrases i really love is that um people can be very scary when they're scared right and we and hurt people hurt people right all it's like oversimplifications of this concept that when we recognize our individual bodies have been through certain experiences typically inflicted by those who are supposed to care for us which is really you know can mess with you on a on a deep deep level for a very long time and keep coming back <laughs> over and over again um <clears throat> that there's practice and there's there's creation and art in consciously and intentionally seeking to love and not in a passive anemic way but in an active choice to work with and for those that we are in relationship with and that's not just relatives or, or friends or loved ones but also folks that appear to be our opposition folks that appear to be out to hurt us if we can't understand what pain is driving that then we are not going to get to a reconciliation and a the level of peace and justice and love that we want. So it's like embodying compassion and being loving isn't just about seeing others as more broken than we are. It's seeing the brokenness of all of us in each other and how do we actively heal one another in that space. It's been a challenge, I got to say, because the last couple months I was just, I was tapped out. I had nothing. And the last few days had really inspiring, incredible conversations, including this one, which it just, you know, we all need that, you know, interchange and expression and reception, the back and forth. And it, it it's necessary. Um, and an expression of spirituality that I think, I hope, Chris, it, this is another way of saying some of the things that you were saying, you all are helping to shape the the bigger picture i guess i'm just curious yeah. as long as i oh go ahead go ahead I was, I was gonna agree with 
agree with what you're all saying. The, the uh, everything is a relationship. So my idea of process making me think I should include that in my little analytical thinking. It's <laughs> it's change, but it's change based on relationship, including my relationship with myself. And um, there was some interesting social psychology research I ran across that the uh, the default network that we use, so you can measure this neurologically on scans, has to do with relationship. So if you put somebody in a scanner and they veg out, the part of their brain that lights up is the part that has to do with their thinking about relationships. Hmm. And that's, that's so important to us that it drives a lot of what we do. And I've had varying relationships with myself. I mean, and I still do. So I, I still have a part of me that's trying to find me. And, you know, I can have conversations with myself, like, I don't exactly know who's talking, but there's two people talking. There's a, there's a relationship. That's the process of change. I think it comes through relationships. Um, so I'm, I'm, the, the mystical tradition I follow is primarily Sufi, but I've really integrated a lot of other things. So the, the, the saying that they have is that um, God created us. God so much wanted to be loved, wanted to be known, wanted to be loved, that he created us. It's a relationship. Sarah, one last thing the, uh, the, the, about the eye gaze. I can't remember the author of the book, but it was a book about, it was the secret practices of Rumi. And the whole point of the book was that practice. Mm -hmm. Guessing that what happened was Rumi and Shams, his teacher, went into seclusion together. And it got all of his students pretty mad because he wouldn't talk to anybody. It was just him and Shams. And there's all sorts of rumors about what they were doing together and blah, 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 blah. And so this person's theory is they looked into each other's eyes. Henry, you said something very important, which when you talk about different, talking about different aspects of oneself, you're really talking about the rich inner life that, that we don't generally tend to, I mean, if you're an introvert, it's one thing, but like, it's kind of like a practice to go and know oneself inwardly. Yeah, there, there's a lot there. Isn't there? And a psychiatrist or nothing. Yeah, I agree with you. Oh yeah, no, I'm glad. I'm glad you 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 preempted my my <laughs> um my my um, probably fruitless question. I and this is, I, I Joel Joel can can attest that I'm I'm a lost soul. So um I I I figure every time I talk to him and I I'm doing it for for ther this is like group therapy. I figure out so I I take advantage of that um to ask. You guys, who I, I think um, have attained levels of spiritual evolution that I have not. I really mean this too. I I, I sense a persistent theme, and again, in the in the you know all the great world literature, the, um, the spiritual literature, and so forth. There there seems to be one persistent theme of sort of fallenness. I guess that right. At least that's that come. That's the the concept from the Judeo Christian tradition, I guess, right, and maybe Islamic tradition as well. It's fallenness, a sense of separation from our our source or our um, this ground of being, if you want to call it that, or God or Brahman or you know whatever. I also sense from you guys seem to be talking a lot about about uh, experiences of suffering and repression. 
I guess I, I, I'm just curious, you know, coming from all the places that you guys are coming from. Um, so, so what is it that's, that keeps me from feeling at home in the world? Is it, um, is there some universal human condition whereby we need this healing process that you've all seemed to be touching on in a lot of respects? What do you think? Uh, what is it that's separating us from where we're, should I say, where we're supposed to be? I don't know if Chris may not think there's any such thing of where we're supposed to be. Um, what do you think? I'm, I'm anxious for, for salvation. So, Well, I go to Joel, Joel, my master, usually for salvation. But <laughs> um, Oh, my Lord. Yeah, the, I, I came across uh, uh, relational theology uh, recently uh, uh, in response to what Henry was talking about. And, and similar to that, the process theology he was talking about. Um, and, and one thing I found in, in my expression of spirituality is that... Um, uh, taking this kind of esoteric uh, philosophical discussion that we're having uh, and these, these ideas of, you know, what is the spirit and, you know, what is life and, and who am I and these fundamental questions, but then couching them in like uh, within the realm of, of justice or suffering or like action in the world so that it's, it, it goes from the realm of just, uh, so it's the implementation of the idea or the, uh, or the you know in in a way of expressing that reality. So in a sense, like the the missing link between what we think and what we do, you know, and, and trying to seamlessly uh, bridge that. So that's that's one way I under, understand the the relational aspect of it. And and there could be like, you know, are we relating to the the God within us? Are we relating to the God within others? Um, is there actually a difference between those two things? Um, those are interesting questions as well. And one final uh, note about that in terms of like my uh, personal and, and Sarah's talking about like a universal spirituality, um, which I agree with. But I also believe that there's like we all have our like um, uh, individuality, like there is an individuated soul that only this individuated soul can can articulate it or express it in this particular way, even though we all share like some kind of common spiritual reality. Uh, so we do that kind of, um, I don't want to say privilege or duty, but like that kind of like, uh, that's our action in the world, um, however we define action. So so my particular individuated action, I, I suppose, would be, in, in recent times anyways, is, is trying to live in a very minimal, sustainable uh, kind of way. Because uh, one way I articulate spirituality as well is like that which it is not. And so I don't believe that like, the mass consumption militarism of the world is is spiritual or you know it's kind of i kind of define it and that maybe that gets into ethics um where that which is creative and that which is destructive and making a distinction between it too and so i i try to be more in the, the positive creative realm and to uh, eliminate or, or put the destructive aspects and then that's the question of is that it's is 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 ethics primarily spiritual? But oh, uh, so I guess my final thought would be um, in my particular avenue is like living in a, in a very sustainable, minimal kind of uh, spiritual way in the sense of like being outside of everything that I consider destructive and, and focusing on this intersection between uh, like esoteric, very physical, uh, like suffering 
like in, in terms of prison, like, so my, my last uh, expression of in writing was um, uh, relational theology in relational prison theology, uh, uh, taking the, the captivity, but having, can there be a relationship within captivity, you know? And then you get into, you know, Joel and I have discussed um, uh, a lot of the um, logotherapy I'm so glad you brought that up, Chris, the, the question of ethics and spirituality. And, you know, I wanted to ask Betty, because I know Betty is a practitioner of someone who accesses Akashic record for people. And I know her as a friend, her own personal ethic. I was wondering, what are your thoughts about the ethics of spirituality or the spirituality of ethics, Betty? Yeah, Chris, I actually started to feel feel about it <laughs> when you were um, speaking. I agree and relate to your thoughts about our being one and yet also um, individual aspects of that one oneness. Ethics, in terms of the work I do with Akashic Records, I define ethics as being um, very respectful of boundaries, first of all. And part of that is because of my individual, the individuality and the fact that I want to do this work with integrity. And, but also that's what, when I access someone's records, I'm not working alone, I'm a facilitator. I am accessing information that is beyond me. It would be, I describe it as illuminated souls who collaborate with the with all of us collaborate with us to express and on behalf of humanity first of all respecting a person's boundaries in terms of not giving them information they're not ready for not shining the light when they're not ready for it so i pay very close attention to what comes through me through my heart this relates to how I would want to respond to, to Rich as well. I'm very focused on what's coming through my heart, not my mind. So my mind is a tool so that I can express what's coming through on a vibrational level. I sense information. I sense I'll, have, I'll receive pictures possibly. And it's a sensing from that being and sensing that person's beingness and relating to that person verbally what is coming through. And so my prayer when I work with someone is that everything that comes through is for their highest good and that I am as clear and clean a vessel for that information to flow through. And of course, confidentiality is part of that um, whole package in terms of the ethics involved, not hurting someone. Yeah, in terms of being at home in the world, I have so often felt like an alien here. Yeah. I really thought that I was from another planet. When I, when I was younger, I really believed that. I, mean, I had no trouble believing that people from other worlds lived here because I thought I was one of them. <laughs> um, but that's because I felt so different, so foreign, so alien and alienated in, in some regards. When I'm at home in the world, it's, it's when I'm in my heart. It's a, it's a feeling. It's not a thinking aspect of my being, but it's a feeling. 
And I purposefully use prayers and practices, breathing, meditation, and also certain mantras, which help me to expand and strengthen my heart center. Um, and that, that is how I can relate better to other people yeah. on the heart level, not on my mind level. Yeah. Wow. I'm loving this conversation so much. Okay. <clears throat> um, Rich, to, I mean, you asked a direct question. I think that one of the, one of the challenges that we have is the idea of, of damnation and salvation to start with, right? That that's a construction. Yeah. Um, that has been used to and abused in ways to to control people, right? So one of my biggest issues with religion in general as a as a concept is that typically it's taking these really beautiful ideas and and feelings and and experiences and manipulating them in ways that are intended to aggregate power unequally and then it becomes structures, institutions, and, and it becomes a thing that we can't question because it's powerful on a top-down, we can punish you level versus being powerful on a, yes, that resonates with my heart level, right? Mm -hmm. And I grew up in a family where religion was not practiced at all because both of my parents were harmed in their religious traditions, you know, and my mother was excommunicated and she married a Jew and the, you know, a non-practicing Jewish man whose ancestors were Jewish, but his family gave up religion because the Holocaust and the trauma and all the things, and they just clean slated it and acted like it never happened. Like, but certain other parts of the family still practice, but we were deprived of all like outside religious, mm -hmm. um, dogma or practice or like expectation, which in a way I'm really grateful for um, because I don't feel like I had to unlearn specific dogma, but then I was just a curious person and I read a ton and you could almost not read anything without there being some reference to God or church or some kind of practice. And I, oh, are you there, God? It's me, Margaret, Judy Bloom, you know, all of that, but it was not imposed on me, I guess. So like that made me curious. And I started reading the Bible as literature and mm. I thought to myself, these are stories, you know, it's narrative. I feel like we as humans, like the story can drive a lot of constructed reality, right? And I, and I saw alternative stories that weren't being amplified and they weren't being created into, you know, top-down structures of power. And I thought, that feels real to me, but why isn't there a church of this? Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, yeah. I guess, I don't know, my salvation, what I consider my salvation is probably not having to unlearn so much, <laughs> right? Doesn't mm -hmm. mean I'm not tormented all the time by, am I making good choices? Am I acting ethically? Because so many times the things that I thought were the right thing turned out not to be. And I learned I was doing harm that I didn't intend to do. And then I had to reckon with the impact of that. But I'm in a system that is harmful. And I can't lend my strength to that system anymore. Mm -hmm. And how do I mitigate the damage of leaving that system? Because I have relationships in there. Yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. So that's where I go to. It's like, who... Who do I really care about? 
Who am I in relationship with directly where my decision is going to impact them? And how do I think that through not to get completely, you know, analysis paralysis is a real thing can be mm. but feeling, thinking, being all at the same time and get get myself to right relationship. But anyway, um, the point is that like once you get to the place of of understanding right relationship based on the experience of relationship and like you can see it when your relationships have positive impact on someone and like to betty's point you can also tell when something you're about to say is going to hurt someone you can there are ways to be honest that are also compassionate and loving mm. and i want to be in a place where it's a co-created co-learning experience because young people have less to unlearn than most of us older folks. And we can really learn a lot from how close they are to their actual emotional experience. There's nothing immature or, or wrong with that, in my opinion, it, they, they need guidance and support. But I mean, I feel like looking at young people and being in relationship with young people, all ages of young people from toddler on up is a great way to reconnect with the part of ourselves that knows precisely who we are and what we're here for. Wow. This is fantastic. I, I'd have to pay $300 to get this. And I mean, seriously, one of the things I really love about this is, first of all, because really I look up, the, I, I figured this is going to be a panel of people who are completely in a constant state of uh, contented ecstasis in union with the divine. And you all seem to be actually struggling. So this makes me feel good. I'm not that far gone, I guess. If, 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 you, if you're still evolving, um, but also, I, yeah, I, I really appreciate the, the, these ideas um, about how it seems, a lot, has, have, seems to have a lot to do with, with, with reconnecting to something essential. Um, well, I, I guess that's what, what certainly the human, Carl Rogers or Abe Maslow would certainly say, right, um, Henry? I, I, and, and actually, you're, you're the, the psychiatrist is the only one. So if I came to you and asked you, <laughs> what's wrong with me? How do I, what do I need to do to be, be at home in the world? Um, would you echo the sentiments of, um, uh, that you've heard so far? Or would you, um, like probably most of your peers, give me some exotic uh, drug to take to alter my brain chemistry in just the right way? <laughs> the first thing I'd say is I'm retired and I, I don't, I'm not practicing anyone. So. Okay, fair it enough. Makes it, it makes it easy. <laughs> but the the uh, look at there was a. I mean, I, I love everything that's being said, and I and we're also. It seems like we approach it different ways through who we are, and so I was listening to a a, a book, and it's Robert Thurman. So that's tough for me just listening to him because. I can't keep it in my mind and I can't remember the name of the book now, but it's his latest one. And he's, he's talking about the eightfold path, but he puts his own, the Buddhist eightfold path. So he puts his own uh, twist on it. The part that came through that, that I'm remembering is uh, he said, when he started his fantasy was all he wanted to do was meditate. Mm -hmm. And that that's, he wanted to go to a monastery and, and he had a, the, the person that he took refuge with kept interrupting him. And he, he, there'd be a knock on the door and he'd say, Bob, what are you doing? And Thurman would say, Rinpoche, I'm meditating. 
oh, let's go have a cup of tea. Mm. And he just kept interrupting him. Mm. And it was pissing him off. Eventually, and, and the Rinpoche wouldn't let him become a monk. And eventually mm. he got worn down. And I think he went to the Dalai Lama who did make him a monk. And, and then he discovered, oh, my Rinpoche was right. I'm, I'm not a monk type. That's not me. And so the closest he could come and live in the world was to go become a university professor, which I think is a riot. The first part of the path is wisdom. The last part of the path is meditation that it built. I mean, it's, and it's never strictly linear. You know, it's always spiral. And you start where you are and all of that stuff. Right view, right intentions. Then, interestingly enough, comes ethics. And then right speech, right action, right livelihood. And then you go meditate. Huh. It's effort, mindfulness, and concentration. So it just struck me. Because sometimes I think, well, you know, I get in my head a lot. and It's, it's being grounded in an understanding. And again, for me, it's become more and more of an understanding of connectedness above and in me and with everyone. It's an, having an understanding about that. And from that, it inspires the actions. And or it gives more meaning to the actions, but they become so much more meaningful. So Sarah, you started by saying, when it's done intentionally. Yeah, it's kind of like, oh, that's what I'm doing. And so I'm a storyteller. I love reading biographies. And I thought this was great. I get to be like, you know, you tease psychiatrists by saying they're a voyeur. Because <laughs> we are, you take peek, you take peeks into everybody's life, right? And I thought, wow, it's an art more than a science. And I can be with people for an extended period of time. And I can be really helpful. And I can hear stories. And I realized that part of the power that comes is also the attitude you have when you're prescribing. So I started my more intensive kind of involvement in in mystical and my mystical path and then you know i'm a carl rogers person and i saw yeah. how they were all starting to come together 